Being vegan together has been fun. We've always been very similar in other ways and stuff, but now there's that as well, which has been kind of adorable, but also beneficial. Like she literally saved my life by being like, come do this, come do this. And like every time I pop something in my mouth that's plant-based, which is every time I pop something into my mouth, I generally think like I wouldn't have been here were it not for her and not just for her going, please do this. She was a vegan astronaut. She'd been like, you know, two years of vegan prior to me. And that made a transition to a plant-based lifestyle much easier. You know, for some people who are like teetering, like it's a mystery. I had somebody who had like kind of solved the mystery for herself. And so was able to give me information that made me feel way more comfortable about leaving behind 47 years of eating a certain way. So, you know, hats off to you. It has been really cool. It's been really special to be able to do it together. And um, I didn't really give my dad a choice at all to be vegan. Um, I just, I was insisting upon it. But also how cool it is to have the perspective of somebody who's vegan for their health and somebody who's vegan for a completely different reason for animal rights and kind of seeing what human compassion could do to an animal just gave me a new awareness that I, I had never understood before where the human actions directly affect the animals that we coexist with. So it has like also just proved to be a really good combination to, for different backstories of why we're vegan. So that's also really cool. That's Kevin Smith and Harley Quinn Smith. And this is The Ritual Podcast. <laughs> The Rich Roll Podcast. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, 
it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, my guests today are Kevin Smith, the podcasting original gangster himself indie filmmaking royalty, pop culture aficionado, and now going strong two years after the heart attack that nearly claimed his life as a vegan enthusiast, a lifestyle we discussed in our first podcast together. That was episode 433 back in April of last year. 
And that shift was due in no small part, actually probably entirely due to the influence of today's other guest, Kevin's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, who is an animal rights activist, a punk rock bass player, an actress you might've caught in one of Kevin's films like Yoga Hosers, or perhaps in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We talk about that today. Together, these two recently launched a podcast, a daddy-daughter affair called Vegan Abattoir. I happened to be their guest last week, so check that out. Anyway, I love these two. This one is super fun. So dig it, people. This is me, Kevin Smith, and Harley Quinn Smith. I appreciate you guys coming out here to talk to me today. Thanks for having, man. When uh, when when the kid showed interest in doing a podcast, which like naturally, you know, made my podcaster soul uh-huh. leap, because um, she'd been on a few episodes of Smodcast in the past and stuff. But when she was like, "I'm thinking about doing a podcast," I was like, "What? What? Like, yeah. oh my god, I know a thing or two about <laughs> that." I was so excited. So when she narrowed it down and and created what what we're calling vegan abattoir. Um, one of the first things I said is like, oh, you you have to have Rich roll on. Yeah, cool. And she was like, why? And I was like, because like in the space, he's the guy. I'd said, I did this podcast, it's like a year ago and not a week of my life goes by where I don't run into somebody who's like, oh, I heard you on Rich Roll's podcast. And it's, it's always somebody I would never expect. Like, it's not like, oh, this is my vegan friend who said that. Mm. It's somebody who like says this. I'm like, what, you as well? There was a lot of reach in that pot. You got oh, a big cool, audience. Man. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that means a lot coming from you. I mean, Harley, do you understand what your dad created? I mean, he is like the original when it comes to, there's like three generations of podcasting here because your dad, Kevin, was one of the very first, like way, way before anybody was doing it to jump in and own the space. And he really pioneered it and mm. created like everything that's happened uh, a huge debt is owed to you, Kevin. And you personally, so like I was, I wasn't super early into becoming a podcaster, but I was very early in terms of being a fan. Mm. And your show was one of the very first that I cottoned on to, and um, and it's been super inspirational to me. And so it's cool to be here with you know s- somebody who goes all the way back to the beginning. Like I'm, I inherited that legacy, and it's made me better at what I do. And now to mm-hmm. see you stepping into it, super cool. Thank you. I mean, yeah. he definitely, definitely explained how important he was to the podcasting community <laughs> um, many times to me. Yeah. And um, I actually was going to try to attempt to do a podcast alone. And then one day he came up to the kitchen um, while I was making breakfast and he was like, um, so I have to be a part of it. And yeah. I, I it was, wasn't, no, it wasn't I, quite like I, that. No, it was. He was like, um, <laughs> I'm going to be really insulted. And I think, no, you, you actually said you're going to make a mistake if you don't include me. <laughs> and so I was that like, that was close to it. I was like, oh, all right, here we go. But I'm, I mean, I'm That's honored funny. and I'm now very excited that we have this yeah. together. Um, but he did make sure to explain his importance to the <laughs> podcasting community to me um, and give his, his own spiel. That's so funny. <laughs> what? And I, look, you know how we were talking about like, oh, you, you, your father created something. I created something at this table, Rich, that I'm kind of wishing right now. Yeah. I'd create it a little differently. What Wouldn't call the? me out in public and tell my secrets. Yeah. <laughs> when I walk up in the kitchen. I did. I was just like, look, kiddo, I was thinking about it. Like, you could totally do a podcast by yourself, mm-hmm. and I applaud that. But, like, 
it'd be such a mistake for us <laughs> not to do yeah. it together. I was like, because like, I'm a vegan too. And you flipped me uh-huh. to veganism. Like your vegan story, like changed my life. And, and so I know the podcasting space and I was like, and ple- people would love to hear like a dad and daughter talking together and stuff like that. I was like, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do, but like, there's there's a marketing hook here that's so right. You were tempting. threatening me a little bit. <laughs> I wasn't like, if you don't do a podcast with me, you're out of this house. That doesn't mean he's not right, though. <laughs> no, he was right. You know, and I think it, at, at the time I was like, um, this is rude. <laughs> but um, you know, I then realized how awesome it would be to have it together, but also how cool it is to have the perspective of somebody who's vegan for their health and somebody who's vegan for completely different. Right. for animal rights so right. it has like also just proved to be a really good combination to, for different backstories uh-huh. of why we're vegan so that's also really cool but I I, um, I was hesitant at yeah. the beginning <laughs> why? why are you well, I, I want to hear more about that but, but <laughs> my sense <laughs> is <laughs> as somebody who's on the outside looking in and I'm just meeting you now is one of the incredible kind of beautiful benefits of everything that, that has happened to you with the heart attack and going vegan and all of that is what's occurred with your relationship. Like this has really like brought you guys close. Like it's very sweet, you Thank know? Thank you. <laughs> that, that, you know, you got involved with the, in this movement because of your daughter mm-hmm. and her insistence. And now you're gonna do this podcast. Like there's, a, there's just such a, like a bond there, you know, that you guys can do this stuff together. It's really cool. Thank and you. I say that somewhat out of like, I have a 16 year old daughter and I'm in that phase <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has nothing to do with me, you know? Oh, I was, I was there. like, I what was would there. it take for my 16 year old daughter to want to do a podcast with me? I was like, you would have to move heaven and earth. Right I'm nearly now. 21. You know? So just give it yeah, like a couple more years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it has been really cool. It's been really special to be able to do it together. And um, I didn't really give my dad a choice at all to be vegan. Um, I just, right. I was insisting upon it. So, but- it, I was green rolled. Uh-huh. <laughs> just like you're gonna go vegan. I was like, all right, all right. Yeah, no. But you gave it. But but initially, right? You said two months or something like that. Like yeah. The, well, time, yeah. that's said, how I yeah. posed it. But I was never really gonna let that happen. Uh-huh. But I I wasn't gonna be like, um, please, right now, commit to a lifetime of veganism because I thought I would scare him. Right. But um, I did just kind of pose it as a few months, but um. I mean, it's been like two years. Yeah, now. I mean, even years. you couldn't have imagined that he would have he would no. become like this. You know, basically, <laughs> you're now you're now like the new face of veganism, like it or not, Kevin. Like, no, but, she, you know but I mean? she knew in flipping me for, that she would like he'd be a good get for I, us. I was, I was like, this is important. She's like, yeah. he's got a big mouth and he's always talking about his interests, and if veganism was one of his interests. That's good for me and my community. Uh-huh. So she kind of saw like the benefit of that, but I. I would like to believe at the heart of it, she was just like, you know, oh my God, I, I know a way to keep you alive. Like mm-hmm. I had almost died clearly because I was ingesting like not just animal food products, but far too many animal food products over the course of a lifetime. So even the nutritionist in the room at the, at that point was like, you know, they, a plant-based diet will bring your cholesterol down. And that's where she saw the opening and was like, yes, one of us, one of us. So, you know, I said, look, I eat the way that I ate for 47 years. I'll give this six months. Like, you know, I can, the least I can do is try your way for six months. Why not? Mm-hmm. And that was two years ago. Let me see, February, March, April, May, June, July. It's so almost two, two and a half right? years ago, yeah, yeah. Two, two years yeah. and five months ago. And I haven't missed anything. That's the question I get the most 
uh, from people um, about veganism. It's just like, what do you miss, bro? What do you miss? Like, uh-huh. well, your daughter's not here. What do you really miss? <laughs> that's that's so true. Shady. Well, because they know that she, like you're the commissar of all this. That like you know, as you said, like he was going vegan for life. So they know like now I have two bosses in life, not just your mother, but also you. Yes, so when you're not around, <laughs> yes, when you're not around, they're like, come on, dude, what do you really think? And I honestly don't miss anything. There's mm-hmm. nothing that I'm like, oh man. That's the thing that people are surprised about because they they suspect that you're just walking around craving in and out. Like yeah, like long. your whole life, yeah. you're like, I'm living a half or a quarter life where I can't enjoy food anymore. Like we live in California and so they've got this veganism stuff down to a science. It's dialed like, in. Really tasty. But even without that, like even if you're just like, look, I can't go to some high-end restaurant where they take a kumquat and turn it into a meatball. So what do I do? <laughs> Beans and rice, man, like yeah. tastier than most stuff that I ate on the non-vegan side. Yeah. And, and like, that's seriously my go-to. Like for the last month, that's all I've been kind of- well, The last time I, the last time I saw rice. you was at the the Mercy for Animals gala thing. And you, mm-hmm. you got mm-hmm. up to the podium to give away like the hero award or something. I can't remember what exactly the award was that you gave away, but you said something along the lines of, if somebody had told me if I went vegan, I could I'd be sitting next to the Joker. <laughs> I would have done this a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. I don't know if, know if he liked it. Joaquin yeah. kind of was like, oh, don't, don't, don't tell them I'm the Joker. Uh-huh. As if they didn't know. Right. As if everyone in the room wasn't like, the Joker's here. <laughs> but yeah, the benefits that come with it, you know, of course, uh, the health benefits are uh, uh, number one for me have been obvious. Like I dropped a bunch of weight. I'm like uh, in my uh, behind the scenes life or the, what's not so obvious is like my body chemistry. And I find that out when I go to the doctor all the time. And Dr. Leidenheim's the guy that saved my life, my, my cardiologist. Every time I've gone for the last, you know, you do six month interval mm-hmm. checkups. He's always like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And the first time it registered was mm-hmm. like when I went vegan for two, I was vegan for two months and I went in for like a blood test and he was just like, Oh my God, everything is great, except for your cholesterol. And I was like, well, we knew that. That's why I had a heart attack. He goes, no, your cholesterol is in the toilet. Like, mm. what happened? He's like, it dropped out. And I was like, I went vegan. He's going, well, I got to cut your cut the meds, the meds yeah. in half because whatever you're doing is really doing the job. And so I've gone back, you know, every six months for another checkup. And the last one I had was right when I got back from the tour. So it was like at the beginning of March, right before everything went into lockdown. And he was just like, your blood work is phenomenal. Like, you know, he's like, I, and he even said, because yeah. Harley always picks at him. Because early on, I was like, I'm going to go vegan. And Dr. Leidenheim was like, you don't have to go vegan. There's nothing wrong with meat. Which is astounding to me. He goes, just keep it in moderation. You know, he's like, there's nothing wrong with meat. So he later, you know, was like, look, fuck me. Like, going vegan was the right move for you. Like, I can clearly tell. So he has since, like, tell your daughter she was right. Yeah. Passed on. Where are you? What are the, what's going on with the meds now? Are you still on some meds? He or just you, cut you know? my blood thinners down substantially. Uh, but yeah, I'll be, look, I'll be on blood pressure medication probably my whole life just because of my family history at this point and mm-hmm. because I'm, you know, a heart attack victim or whatever they mm-hmm. call you. Um, so I'll definitely be on blood, pre- blood pressure medication probably for the rest of my life. Um, whenever I go to like do a physical, like I had to get a physical for Jay and Silent Bob reboot. The doctor was like, oh my God, you, you have the blood pressure of a man on blood pressure medication. Well done. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Um, the blood thinners, the doctor cut down. 
they put you on blood thinners because they put a stent in my LAD and they don't want the blood to coagulate, mm, block it, and then right. I'm back in the same situation. So I've been on blood thinners for like two years, but he recently dropped those to like half doses, yeah. which is good because like I, I shave quite frequently and periodically and nick yourself. And when I nicked myself, it was just like a geyser because right. the blood thinners and stuff. Wow. And then there's a cholesterol blocker whether it breaks up the cholesterol that's in my mm. system. And I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not a wizened uh, individual. I can't speak to body chemistry, but the way I understand it, maybe I'm wrong, is the cholesterol that was in my bloodstream will always be in my bloodstream. It doesn't go away. The cholesterol medication that they put me on breaks it down into a you know more liquid form, but it's not like, and now it's out of your system. Yeah. Like it still circulates. Mm. And why they want it to break down is because when it's hard, the plaque is hard, that's the stuff that travels through your circulatory system can lodge in your brain and right. give you a stroke. Right. So I don't like, I always like to think like, you know, my cholesterol is gone, but the way I, maybe I'm wrong. I think it stays in you. I think mm. once you've done the damage, the damage is, is done. And at this point, all you can do is not create more damage. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, none no, of us are. We can get Neil Bernard. Damn it. I was kind of hoping one of you were like, oh, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um, but Harley, why don't we, I want to hear more about like your story with this. Because you 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 became vegan for ethical reasons when you were quite young, right? Yeah. Your I, mom's a vegetarian. Yeah, my, my mom's a vegetarian. She's been a vegetarian my whole life. Um, so she's definitely had that influence, but it wasn't really... Um, I wasn't really aware of her influence until after I went vegan. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I, before that, I didn't really. Shit's funny. Because it's the one thing, like, you know, my wife, her mother is always like, she lives in the shadow of, of both me and her daughter, uh -huh. you know, because we both do public things. Yeah. And so, you know, the, her, her, I think the thing she craves most in life is like recognition because she stands in the shadow of two mm -hmm. people who get recognition just sometimes for waking up and stuff yeah. like that. So like her, her being an example that set Harley on the road to veganism would mean, and does mean everything to Jen, but the way that Harley puts it where she's like, I didn't really think about it until later on would break <laughs> well, my wife's heart no, where she's like, why like, did I do all yeah. that? I mean, I wasn't you aware of her, her influence though. though. I always credit her now. And that's why like, I do always, I'm so vocal about her inspiration to me, but like, it really wasn't something I was aware of because she never was like, Hey, you maybe shouldn't eat chicken or she wasn't ever trying to push her ideals on me she was only in milk remember yeah, she never gave milk, you milk uh, up, but ever. that i never wanted it was so questionable to me anyways why anyone would well, even, that. but as a kid it wouldn't have been questionable no it was always questionable i had it once at school and i i spit it out because i was like what is at this? age what five or six uh, yeah because I... yeah but if you were like me probably like rich you would have been raised with milk it never would have been like this is disgusting to like you know we, yeah we were just given milk from a young age right. it wasn't until i became a grown-up went vegan, stepped out of like the food industrial complex and the milk industrial complex and was like, it's kind of fucked up that we eat another animal's yeah. milk. <laughs> like, oh my God, like it's weird. I just woke up or something. Yeah. Like you just got pulled uh -huh. out of the matrix. No, mom yeah. definitely made me aware of that. And so I, I'm thankful I always had that awareness, but she never said anything about mm. meat or, or mm. any other animal products. So Even though she didn't really eat meat herself. No, she never ate meat ever. So I, I... Didn't, I wasn't aware that she was influencing me, but I think since she is my mother and I'm always going to look up to her and I looked up to her in so many other ways, I probably subconsciously 
was inspired by her choice to go vegetarian. I think that did secretly, subconsciously influence yeah. me, but I just had no idea until later in life because I witnessed my my mother who raised me not eat meat for 20 years. And so I'm sure somewhere in me, I was like, oh, well, she's been doing it for as long as I'm alive. So I probably mm. can do the same. Um, but so she definitely did influence me. I just wasn't aware of it at the time, but now I definitely do give her all the credit yeah. because <laughs> she she deserves it. Somewhere I just she's rolling wasn't a tear. Aware. Like, oh my god! Finally, the acknowledgement. I wasn't I aware, but um, what really made me go vegetarian at first? I've been vegetarian for over five years, I think now, and I just hit my four-year vegan mark in April. Um, but was adopting my, my rabbit, mm -hmm. um, because when I adopted her, she was fully traumatized, uh, before she was surrendered to the shelter I adopted her from, she was being held by hoarders who had like a hundred other rabbits. And, um, she, she was so terrified of all of us. She has a ripped ear, um, she had a bunch of metal stitches that weren't tended to when I adopted her. She was covered in pee. Like she was in a terrible, terrible condition. Um, and she was really standoffish to everybody uh, in our family at first when I brought her home. She was really scared of everybody, understandably. And um, it was really heartbreaking to me because it, she she thought I was going to hurt her. And that, that of course, broke my heart because I wanted her to feel safe. Um, so after months of making her know that I, I was never going to hurt her. None of us were ever going to hurt her. She wasn't ever going to be hurt again. Um, and that I was just showing her so much love and compassion. She transformed into, into a much more open, loving creature and kind of seeing what human compassion could do to an animal just gave me a new awareness that I, I had never um, understood before um, where I, the human actions directly affect the animals that we coexist with. And you may not have understood that, but you had it in yourself all along because it yeah. takes a very specific person to say, I'm going to take the rabbit that's all beat up from the shelter rather yeah. than going to the pet store and getting the, the rabbit that's all groomed and, and cute. Absolutely. Right? So, yeah. so that, that would, that is clearly part of who you are. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, except for our poor dogs growing who, up, we're like, oh, it took the rabbit <laughs> to yeah. make you realize animals I, were important I, things. You I, left the part out that you had dogs. I always say that, well, yeah. we talked about this and recently, turtles. but it's nah. because all of, before we knew, before I was aware, before anybody was aware um, that it wasn't, it wasn't um, ethical to mm. purchase an animal um, rather than adopt. We had bought all our dogs, so they didn't, they didn't know trauma. They, they, we bought them all when they were babies and they came from a pet store and they were probably not treated well at the pet store, but they were all really young and we, we paid money for them. Like they, they were, um, they, they didn't really know much trauma. Whereas when I adopted my rabbit, she was already two years old and had lived through two years of trauma mm -hmm. and had PTSD. So like I was surrounded by animals, but they were all, they, they they didn't know anything except love and right. happiness. So like they were great too. They're great. <laughs> yeah, somewhere um, the dogs like thanks. Right. <laughs> but but it wasn't. They they definitely. I wasn't going to look at my 
yellow Labrador and be like, oh, what's your trauma? Like, uh-huh. well, what have you been through? But I was looking at my rabbit with a torn in half ear who is traumatized and has PTSD. And I I could see that in her and and felt something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the dogs are awesome too. Labrador is like, my trauma is that I live with a little girl who doesn't love me as much as a rabbit. <laughs> yeah. They, they, but fine. maybe don't use that, that calculus when choosing your boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You yes. have a boyfriend. Uh, yes. She got a good boyfriend. With, yeah, right? yeah. He came into quarantine with us, and he's a like a good dude. I know. I'm like as a dad, I'm supposed to be like, I don't like this guy. But he's, he, I think yeah. you love him. Yeah, he's You've a good dude. You said that you love him. Yeah, you guys are like fine. making some kind of like, <laughs> sitcom spoof at home. Like you're all cramped up, so we're like let's make a TV show. Yeah, TBS is doing clip. this uh, TV show called The Celebrity Show Off, which is a Americanized version of a Korean show called uh, My Little TV, where they get like people who, you know, I hesitate to call myself as like a celebrity, but people who like you might recognize. And they're, since we're all stuck at home, they're like, uh, you can't have a crew. We're going to send you a package. You make a show in your house uh-huh. using what you got. And then every week, people get you know, voted off. Like, these are the best ones. This is the one didn't get the most votes. You get kicked off and stuff. It's like a 10-week program contest. Every week that we stay in, like, there's money goes to charity and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it, when they presented it, I was like, um, all right, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm home. I got nothing to do. Why right. not? So most of the people were doing uh, two camera shows, meaning like, hi, I'm this person and you're in my house and blah, mm. blah, blah. So I was like, well, if everyone's doing that, maybe we'll do something a little different. Like, you know, it, if I could do anything I want, let's do a little sitcom. Like, and we'll call it Sun and Lockdown. And it's predicated on like Austin right. living with us, but like a fictional version uh-huh. of Austin who's like really tough to take. So it would give me a chance to like not just be involved with the show, but I can do it with the family. We can uh-huh. all be involved and stuff, have a good time. And so um, it, we kind of move forward with it. And uh, it, it's, it's been interesting, man. Like uh, the show begins June, I want to say 23rd or something like that next week on TBS, but they put up the short that we made uh-huh. already online. And I think that's where people, they'll see which ones are popular or that's not cool. or something. So working with the kid, yeah. like I've worked with her before, but working with her boyfriend was nice because we've just spent like you know she's how long you been dating him eight nine months or something like nine that nine months so I've known him as her boyfriend in that capacity and then I've known him as somebody who lives in the house over the course of the quarantine but it's completely different when it's like all right now let's act let's, right you know and so I think both of us got to like spend time with each other in that way where it's like oh right on like I, the, the last <laughs> piece of the puzzle that's so interesting to hear you say that can i direct it's so yeah true. he seems nice but can i direct no, that's, him that's literally what it is he's like can i get something out of you like, kind of a, what do you but bring here's the thing. what do you bring to the table I said, oh, he's funny you are a, oh my god is that how i occur to you that is what it is <laughs> Well, her life experience what is, that? is a like, description for that. Somebody I work, who's like, I, I act in his projects. We're doing a podcast together. Yeah. Now we're doing a TV show with my boyfriend. Like, is there any part know, of my life missed, that's Rich, outside of the, the ask? You know, the the view askew universe. What you missed though is a big breakthrough moment. And if we went to therapy, family therapy, that would have been huge. Where she really broke me down to my essence to be like, 
oh, he likes him now because he sees no, that, that he can be useful. It, it's 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 well known throughout uh-huh. the house. Like, it, what do you mean? Other people talk about this? Yes. Let's Who? just take a moment. <laughs> like, like my because, wife, your mom. Yes. Oh, this is your good. wife. This is like therapy. Uh, your parents-in-law. Um, they, what they've all said that like. Well, I think because. Um, how do I say this? Um, <laughs> yeah, step lightly. How do I say this? Um, I mean, you definitely liked Austin before, right? Yes. Yes. Um, but there was a absolute new level of acceptance. Where once he was suddenly on my radar. He was suddenly not someone who simply lived in our house, but someone you could perhaps love. <laughs> and, um, you, that only happened once he gave you something. You, once I was like, oh, he's not, not only is he useful to you, he's, now he's useful, useful to, to me as well. And, and you love him because he's useful to you. Yes. So now it took me time to be like, oh, I found a useful Austin and now but, I love Austin as well. But you're, you're actually doing something for him too. Like now the guy's going to be on TV. Well, but he's, he's Was an he an actor, actor before? He's oh, an okay. actor. And he's been in like, he was in what, scary, scary, scary stories. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Got a pretty um, big audience. But he- I mean, he. But thank you, Rich. That's how I felt. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I gotta I'm take putting your boyfriend on television. <laughs> yeah. I we. I and mean, she's like, he's been in a Walmart commercial, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. <laughs> he was really excited because he was like, I mean, is this a secret that you didn't know? I, we we've I all didn't. been like trying to find a way for you to get closer to Austin because like Nan and Pop, my my grandparents, my mom's parents are really close with my boyfriend. Like we, we've traveled they together. They are preternaturally close. It's a little weird. They, they hang- play ping pong together. <laughs> yeah, my my Pop and, and my boyfriend play ping pong and like we all play pool together pretty much every night. It's pretty cute and wholesome. But, um, and then my mom has gotten to know him too by, by him living at our house. <laughs> and you were kind of the last person where it was like, what? And it's not like, you're not really the type of person who's like, let's, let's sit down and get to know each other. So. Unless it's like, yeah. unless Bonding there's a podcast. Has to be productive. Yeah, unless yeah. there's it a podcast. It has to be productive. Yeah. But yes. wow. This gets to like a bigger thing, which is that your dad is a closet grinder. I mean, I don't know how much in the closet you are about that. I mean, you kind of like to hold yourself out. Oh, I like to watch TV and sit on the couch right. and I'm lazy and all of that. But like, you have this insane work ethic. I mean, you came off, you make the That's reboot true. movie, you do this crazy tour, 60, how, I don't know how many cities. The 65 you cities. Yeah, 65 cities. Then you're in lockdown. When you're in lockdown, you're writing like a, a bunch of scripts and making this TV show. Like, yeah, you oh, can't That's fear. Thing. That's out of like fear. That's like, I don't even know if it's a work ethic as much as like, I have to keep making stuff because what if this doesn't work? What if this doesn't work? What if this doesn't work? I think you do have a really, really incredible work you ethic. You do. Because at this point, <laughs> it's predicated you know. on fear. It's like, I don't ever want to go back to having a real job. Like you you've still never worry, had a real but job. But you don't, you don't honestly know, still worry about that. Sure, I do. Oh God, yes, absolutely. You wake every up day thinking I life. might have to go get a job. I mean, every day of my life, I go, This maybe this is it. This is the last day where they're like, we have no more fucking use for you, mm. you and your silly stories. And I look at my like output and what I do, and it is getting more and more insular. Like, you know, Jay and Silent Bob reboot was a fun movie, but it, it really helped if you'd seen six, seven other movies yeah. prior to that. Next movie I'm probably going to make is Twilight of the Mall Rats. It would really help if you saw Mall Rats, which came out 25 years ago. I'm working on a show for Netflix, which is uh, uh, Masters of the Universe. Also comes from IP out of the 80s. Like everything I do is predicated on the past or my very small world of things. So I always wonder, 
if like, since I'm not really talking about the future, barely the present, but I'm never really like trying to be a Chris Nolan who's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make Tenet, man. And like, it's going to blow your mind. Sooner or later, they're going to turn around and be like, we'd rather use this space for somebody with new ideas. We don't want to see clerks again. Is that what you think about? Every day of my life. I don't fret about it, but it's definitely in the back of my head. That's what makes me work where I'm like, one day I won't be useful to them and no one will pay me to entertain them and I'll have to go back to quick stop. And I don't want to do that because when I go back to quick stop, they'll be like, hey, Hollywood, I guess it didn't work out. By you know, time, after 26 30 years, years later. <laughs> I don't want to eat crow 30 years after right. that, Rich. By time, I crowed off from a vegan. When you're done, yes. <laughs> when you're done, I, I vow to support you. <laughs> you don't have to ever right. go back. Why do you think we yeah. had you? I'm like, yeah. let's get one of these kids that acts <laughs> and make some of that lucra and then we cannot work ever. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. You dipped your toe into, you know, you made the Bruce Willis movie and, you know, you you kind of explored that territory mm. and it was what it was, but, you know, this this appreciation for your fan base and and the love that they have for the particular thing that you do that nobody else can do. Kevin Smith. I think there's, you know, there's, there that's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like you have these, this audience that adores you. You know, She's and, I said Kevin you, and the fact that that's like all you I go, do. I do you Kevin make these Smith movies and you, you do them essentially outside of the studio system, you take it on the road mm. and you show up for those people in a, in a very real way. Like we were talking before the podcast, you're like doing these live shows, there's a thousand, 1500 people, whatever you stay after, you're hugging hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Like yeah. that tactile, like one-on-one connection that you have with your audience is rare and and special. And the fact that you care about that, I think, not only distinguishes you from what people might imagine, you know, somebody of your stature, like Hollywood celebrity, you know, thinks about and cares about. Um, me, but I think there's that. more longevity. Do you think I have a stature? Like, of you're course, outside dude. The you're big. You're, you're, yeah, you're like, you're, you're, look, come on. Your dad's a celebrity, right? Like, people know who he is. They've I, seen your movies. But I mean, I what, is, what does that mean at the end of the day? I don't know. I don't like, know what it means. To me, because I always think about it means, it's like I'm like I don't I'm not saying this like I feel old, but it's like all of it is it's old stuff. Well, it's it, it's ultimately it's meaningless. But I guess what I'm getting at well, is I didn't that mean that, that. And now you're really insulting well, me. Well, yeah. clerks meant a lot no, to me. You know, like well, you've ultimately, been around long mean, enough to know but I'm what like, the value I, of this in is. in a world where you're not but saying something new, but always saying something old or reminding people of something old. How much of a future can one possibly have? And yet. This is the weird conundrum of my life. Even though I'm like engaged with the past, I'm still functioning in the present. Like I don't understand why I still have a job or a following because I haven't said anything new in in years. Last new thing I said was yoga hosers and everyone was like, shut up. 
So like, you know, most of my stuff is engineered to things I've done before or things that have gone by. Even Comic Book Men, the show we had on AMC for seven seasons was a fun show. But like at the end of the day, when I looked at that show, I was like, this is also nostalgia and sentimentality. It's all predicated on people bringing in old things and us sitting around going like, oh my God, I remember having that. So I've come to grips with post-heart attack. That is my role. People are most comfortable with me talking about the past. When I start talking about the future, they're like, hey, Tusk boy, maybe not so much the future with you, but we loved the 90s and you were the man back then. So I, don't, I still am in the 90s business. I, think. I, don't, I don't think of it in terms of new and old. You know, I think of it in terms of what people love you for and what they care about. Like you're, you know, you have this, this, you know, kind of, you had this mentorship student relationship with Stan Lee, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was your dude. So you could look at him and say, well, everything, you know, all the stuff that he was doing is in the past. It's not though, it's in the present as well. It's very much part of the consciousness. Like, I don't think that your it's stuff- true. he was you, a guy you, that you, did his work like, look at before. all this stuff around us. Like this stuff has been around for decades and yeah. decades and decades, but people don't think of it and he where got it falls on it. a timeline. He got to see it embraced by the mainstream. He got to see his creations embraced in two different ways. Once when he first created them and he had the comic book marketplace to himself. And for years, like those characters were viable and been in tons of stories. So he got to see that world embrace those characters. But then on top of it, he got to see the rest of the world embrace his characters. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? It's like you created Iron Man decades ago and you thought you've gotten everything you can get out of Iron Man. A bunch of comic books, they did them in as a cartoon, there've been toys. And then one day somebody's like, we're going to redefine this shit. We're going to bring it into the people's real life so much so that your mother is going to know who Iron Man is, that it's Tony Stark and stuff. All of the dude's work got a brand new lease on life and he was here to appreciate it. Not only that, they stuck him into every one of those movies so that people would play this Where's Waldo game of like, see that guy? That's Stan Lee. He created these characters and stuff. Nobody, nobody gets to enjoy it that good twice in a lifetime. That's how special that man was, how beautiful he was because good things only come to people that deserve it. And that dude had two brilliant lifetimes where everyone stood up and was like, you are the man in two completely different eras. He lived long enough. He was 95, 96, almost when he died, but in two completely different eras, he was celebrated by two completely different mm -hmm. audiences, all encompassing audiences. I always, that takes my breath away. I loved when the last one came out, when Endgame came out, and the first thing they put up was the, the Marvel logo that was nothing but Stan Lee shots from all those Marvel movies. And at the end, it said, thank you, Stan. Mm -hmm. Like you heard fucking people sobbing in a theater for an old man who told them some stories a few years ago. Like to have that kind of impact in a life, one could only dream about being that guy. So believe me, when I was ever, whenever I was with Stan, I always kept an open ear and an open eye because- I'd love to be that guy. I'll never be that guy. He created like some legit characters that make billions of bucks. He created like, you know, Iron Man, Spider-Man mm -hmm. co-created. I created Jane Zombob. So there's worlds apart, of course. But even in, just in, in terms of creating something and standing by it, he was also my role model. He was the guy that would tub thump for comics. Like I remember nine years old, my father waking me up and being like, come in, come, come watch Good Morning America. Uh, Spider-Man's dad is on TV. And I knew exactly who he met, and it was the first time I laid eyes on him. And here was a grown-ass adult. You know, I'm a child at this point. He's a grown-ass man on television. And, and whenever I see television, the grown-ups, generally speaking, about grown-up shit. 
Here's a grown-ass man on television talking about shit that was of interest to me, talking about Spider-Man, talking about comic books, talking about superheroes. I fell in love, like, at an early age where I'm like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Like, if this guy, he can make it work. Every adult I knew was so serious and so earnest and so grew up. They had to. They had the weight of the world on their shoulders, trying to support families and stuff. Here was an adult, seemed like a grandfather figure, who talked in joyous terms about the shit that meant something to you. So I was so happy to see across the spectrum of his life, particularly in the last 20 years, that the whole world knew his name. Everybody knew this guy's name at the end of the day. In the comic book community, he was a god to us. We all knew his name. That was Stan. That the whole world embraced that guy, that meant everything. It meant everything to him. He went out there. You want to talk about a work ethic? Jesus, that guy was 95 years old. He'd get up and he'd have a full schedule of things to do. And, you know, maybe one of them had to do with making money. The rest of them had to do with making people happy. So if I can live long enough where I can be that functionary, you know what I'm saying? Like, just like Stan, his best creative days were in the early days. And then he spent the rest of his career talking about that time Mm -hmm. and being an ambassador for comics in general. That would be a way to go for me. If I can last in this business as that guy, that'd be amazing. But can you take even a fraction of what you just said and apply it to yourself? Because what I'm saying is, if Stanley came to you on the cusp of, you know, being a, a god in the comic book world, but not yet embraced by the rest of the world, if he came to you and said, Kevin, People only care about what I did in the past. Nobody wants to hear about this. You, what would you say to that guy? You say, I remember, you're insane, right? I told him he was crazy on one occasion. We were having a conversation and um, we were talking about writing. And, you know, Stan was always in Stan mode. And, and he delivered the, exactly the person that you hoped to meet when you met Stanley. And, you know, he talked about comics, talked about characters and stuff. I've known him across, you know, almost 25 years. So I got to talk to him about many things. And I remember one day having a conversation where he was talking about feeling like a failure because he had always wanted to write the great American novel. And he's like, and still I haven't done it. And I was like, Stan, like you overshot uh-huh. the great American novel. You created the great American <laughs> mythology. You know, most of a book, fuck a book. You created a religion. Like it, it look how it's going to, speak for hundreds of years after your passing, my passing, like you did write the great American novel and it's a, it's a fucking comic book and you did it again and again. Could he hear that? Look, Stan Lee knew exactly who Stan Lee was. You know, like Stan Lee created many great characters, but the greatest creation of Stan Lee was Stan, Stan Lee himself. Stan Lee Lieber created Stan Lee and wore Stan Lee like a costume, like that sweater he would put on. So I guarantee you that Stan knew exactly that he had overshot Mm. the book. But, you know, we're creatives. At the end of the day, take everything away. Stan is a creative and was a creative and a creative has an ego and an ego likes to be stroked. So in that moment, Stan was just like, I didn't write the great American novel. (laughs) And then looking to me and I was like, oh, but Stan, you did so much more. And he was like, you're right, Kevin, you're right. That's funny, man. Um, how have this is we rarely get a chance to do this. Um, how has your journey been? I, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like how well traveled that episode I, I did was how I found as I went out in the world. When I went on the reboot roadshow tour, a lot of the people who I saw afterwards during the VIP experience, people come and take pictures with you backstage and stuff. Like, I loved you on ritual. Like, you know, and some people, of course, like they look healthy and stuff. So you're uh-huh. like, well, that makes sense. But just in general, man, like how have you found 
functioning now in the real world. Like, for lack of a better description, you're 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 famous. Harley, you see what he's doing right now? <laughs> did I'm exactly like that. Stanley, know. Did, you know what I mean? I know, I know. Two I'm things. You, d- you just did exactly, you just illustrated the story you just told. <laughs> and uh, and uh, being a true podcast host, you're trying to flip it. Oh my God. Right? I'm always more comfortable. So I'll indulge you for a second. But Go we're ahead. going to turn it back on you. <laughs> Very kind of you. Thank right. you. Um, it's wild. You know, this medium is so much more powerful than I would have ever imagined getting into it. What about during um, quarantine? Have you found more activity or interactivity or less interactivity with the shows since we've all been on lockdown? Um, it's, it's remained pretty much consistent. There's a little bit of a dip. I mean, people's listening habits change because they're not commuting mm-hmm. and they're not going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, some oh, is that right? See, I would have like put that, it the other way where it's just like, everyone's got more free time. Yeah, like, you I guess I'll listen to this, but you're but right if you're not habits, doing your habits. You know, they have their yeah. habits and their schedules. So that's that's been a little bit of a shift. And then we all had to kind of go and do Zoom calls and all that kind of junk. Carly right. and I were talking about that's that ahead right. of time and I was like, done with that. So yeah. here we are. The delay We is got always... the antibody test though. We're all healthy. Yeah. We did. I'm wearing yeah. a Band-Aid because we got an antibody test, which was A, good to have, but B, depressing to learn that I have not had COVID it. You I were conv- both of you convinced that you had it. Uh, yeah, it's crazy that you didn't after going to all those cities. A lot of all, lot of interactivity people, with a lot yeah, of different folks in a lot of different weather climates, and you know now they're saying that like the you know we, we keep marking uh, you know COVID coming into the country from late February into March. They're saying now some cases they believe predate Earlier, the end of the year. Yeah. Like you know there was a I think the Hollywood Reporter did a piece on. There were a bunch of people sick at Sundance in January. Right. And a lot of these symptoms are the same. I was there. You know, I remember interviewing, what's her name? Um, uh, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And she was like really sick, but like she was trying to soldier Uh through for the movie she was there for. So it might have gone back as far as that. So I, I would have been sure that somewhere along the lines that I had it, although not as bad as, you know, we've, we've seen other cases, but. Apparently not. So we're ripe for the taken. And, you know, based on the news reading this morning, we should all be staying inside a lot longer. I know. Yeah, after Sadly. this, we'll go home and not leave for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I had to actually be like, we're, we're talking about going to do this at Sideshow because I'm engaging in the world. I'm wearing a mask when I go mm-hmm. out and stuff, but I've gone to do stuff still and maintained like streaming schedules. And But Harley has really treated lockdown very, yeah. very seriously. Yeah, it was really How has it been for you? It's been It's been really hard for my kids. Yeah, I think I think the most difficult part is that um, I just feel so protective over my grandparents and they, they live with us mm-hmm. and um, I just can't bear the thought of one of my actions leading them to suffer from COVID. Um, so I'm not really scared. Of, I, I really genuinely thought I had it because I did get sick at the beginning right after we got back from New Orleans, when, right after Mardi Gras. We were there the day after. Yeah. So And I did get sick, so I really thought that I must have had it. Um, the test was like a good news, bad news. Thing. I know, I know. I'm kind of like, well, fuck. Real letdown. I know. It. I'm like, oh my god. I wish I'd been sick. But it's. I'm not scared about myself getting it, or or, or my boyfriend. I am kind of scared about my dad because of of your heart. Yeah, he for a while. He's not scared, but I. I 
I kept hearing about like young people and old people. I'm like, well, I'm right in the middle. Mm. And then they're like, it's also people who suffer from things. I'm like, well, I don't yeah. suffer from anything. And they're like, it's also people who've had heart attacks, you idiot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. I've had you one of what? those. I feel really protective over everybody else and I can't control my dad. Um, so he does go out. He's safe, but like, I can't. If, if I had a choice, I would be like, please stay home. Uh-huh. We got in our own, one of our only fights. Yes, we got yeah. in, a, in a very over big it. fight. Because you wanted to leave and because you wanted to Because he had of mine his friend over. Came over who, yeah. to record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because a friend of his, which, uh, do you want to mention, flew across the country, didn't get tested, came to our house the day after. Like after flying, after coming from New Jersey, which was initially Michigan. Michigan. Was he coming? Yeah, he lives in Michigan. Okay, whatever. He was flying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then he came to our house the day after. And I was so mad. First, she gave me the silent treatment. I ignored him. I ignored him. (laughs) I saw him. Like we were going on this, uh, this, um, walking route every day we would go sometimes together but sometimes at different times and uh my boyfriend and I were coming back home while him and his friend were going up the hill and I just um she even talked to me I just ignored him (laughs) (laughs) I was when I got home I was like she gave me the silent I was just so upset because I like I decayed me she's like don't know (laughs) I I, I gave you life I was just so protective over my grandparents and it was scaring me so much and I I could pretty much ensure that they weren't gonna leave Mm -hmm. at all they had like one doctor's appointment that they had to go to but other than that they were home and I could like sanitize everything that came into the house for a while yeah I was it was very much controlling the environment and then my dad just brought this whole other factor in which I was like, what the fuck? This is so, this, I I just felt so blindsided and so betrayed. And it um, was, she was very like, she wrote this text group text to the family about me where I was like, um, you could have just talked. It was really bad. It It was really bad. It was like a week-long fight. (laughs) That's your job. You know, until your parents are, are knuckleheads and don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, Like this is supposed to happen. Yeah. But I think it's also like, very confusing. There's the goalposts are always moving. You know, the the information that we're getting is always changing, and mm-hmm. you know we can always default to being as protective as possible. And obviously, it's much more heightened for you having your grandparents there, and the stakes yeah. are a lot higher. Um, but you go out into the world, and it's like some people are wearing masks, some people aren't. Some people are pretending like nothing's going on, and some people are all freaked out, and it's crazy. that creates tension and all kinds of weirdness out there. And then, meanwhile, yeah. just down the street from you guys, there's thousands of people pouring out into the street, you know, celebrating and we were, protesting. We were and, three of them at one yeah. point. We joined the yeah. Hollywood march, the first march that they did in Hollywood, um, which was probably, I guess, about two weeks ago now. Yeah. Um, and that was, it was so weird because after like being careful and all that, right. like and suddenly you're, you're so seized anymore. by the moment. Yeah. You're just like, that's why it took, forget like, it, let's go. It was such a weird thing because the protests were going on for probably four or five days before the one that we went to. And mm. my boyfriend and I were having a really difficult time because we wanted to be there so badly from the start, but then we kept saying, no, we can't because what then like this quarantine would be thrown out the window. We could just be exposed mm, to thousands of like people. All that, all yeah. that work we did. Yeah. <laughs> and bring it back yeah. to my grandparents in in like one day. But then my grandparents um, were going to Nevada. They just got a house there. So they were going 
there um, the next day. So my dad, my boyfriend, and I decided to go, like, since we knew they weren't going to be home. Um, But it was just, it's just such complicated feelings about it too, because everything's reopening right now. And it's really hard to process because you see so many people like in restaurants again, but you also see the news and Mm -hmm. see that there are so many cases still. So it's just all very hard to process and and very confusing. The other day you were like, I'm thinking about going to Crossroads. Did you go or no? No, I didn't. Because it's just so weird. They reopened. They reopened. reopened, I want to go, but at the same time, I'm like. Believe me, we kept Crossroads in business during the quarantine. We (laughs) We got a lot of our money. She was like, I'm thinking about going to Crossroads. I was like, you have went to Crossroads every night at our own house for the last three months. Big supporters of Crossroads. (laughs) But I I don't know. It's just so. weird and very it's hard for my mind to process like seeing everybody out as if nothing Mm. ever really happened and people eating in restaurants and and gyms are opening and stuff and it's just very weird to process so I I was gonna go to Crossroads the other day but then I was like well I could or I could just stay home (laughs) do you miss restaurant eating I don't like, I, 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 I still eat, so it's not like yeah, I haven't I mean, eaten I, in three I don't know. months. I, I just, I miss being with people without being tentative around. It's like, when are we yeah. going to, you know, it's not necessarily the restaurant itself. It's like, when when can we just walk into an establishment and sit down and hang out with our friends without thinking about, like, yeah. am I getting sick right now? Or am I making somebody else sick? Or totally. being worried about washing your hands and all that kind of, I mean, is it? What's it going to take before we can ever- About two years in a vaccine, probably. Life has changed irrevocably. And I know like naturally we're we're, as a country, as a species, we're like, knock us down. We'll get right back up. But like, as we're seeing, as numbers Mm -hmm. continue to go up in these states that have opened early, like this is no joke. You can't just because like other crises have popped up and stuff, you can't diminish this one. Just because the government is going like, no, feel free, open up. You can't diminish this. Numbers continue- to mm-hmm. rise. I just read a story today about a bunch of cats in Florida, one of them a nurse who was just like, we all went out to a bar, all 16 of us got diagnosed with COVID two days right. later. I read that same story. And she's like, I'm, I regret it. She's like, I'm stupid. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Like we all took off masks. We, we did not social distance. I should have known better. Now I'm paying for it. So she was wow. urging others to take it more seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, even though the guidelines are like, hey, we can go out now. Like, although tonight we're doing a thing uh, streaming event for uh, we got a pop up. Yeah, like this mo- this movies. Moody's, right? Yeah, movies, tell me yeah. about this. So, like, we got in in the movies a fake uh, fast food joint called Movies, which was first introduced in a movie movies. I called uh, a movie I made called Dogma. Then we put it in uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. It was also in Clerks too, and most recently it was in Jane Silent Bob Reboot. So these cats in town um, who've done theme restaurants, Derek Berry's genius. He comes out of Chicago. They did in Chicago this Saved by the Max pop-up restaurant. So on the TV show Saved by the Bell, they would hang out at the Max Diner. They recreated it. And so people were like, this is great. So he took it to Los Angeles and moved out here, Derek did, and started another restaurant, like took took, rented the space, refurbished it, turned it into the Max, did that for a couple months, then closed it for a month, then reopened it as Good Burger, from like mm, the yeah. movie, the Nickelodeon sketch comedy, all that. Um, and then closed it and then reopened it as um, Poyos Hermanos from Breaking Bad. So he's in this theme restaurant business where he flips the theme every few months. So he reached out and was like, what if we did movies? 
because they were supposed to be doing something for Clueless because it was Clueless's 25th anniversary. And then Paramount, I guess, you know, because the quarantine was about to happen. They're like, we're not doing this. And they uh-huh. walked away. So he had an open window and he's like, you got a fast food joint. What about movies? So we knew we couldn't open the restaurant because nobody going out and nobody allowed to go out. But food delivery was still a thing. So Derek was like, what if we did like a happy meal box, like movie meals and stuff, and we can donate all the money that we make, you know, because it'll be like an advertisement for us eventually doing the pop-up restaurant. Mm -hmm. So a teaser to see how it plays. We donate all the money to uh, a charity. It was called No Us Without You, which was a charity for restaurant workers that were now without jobs because of the quarantine and stuff. So it was win, win across the board. And then the only thing I said was like, can we do vegan option? Because I'm vegan. He's like, yeah, we do whatever we're doing. We'll do a vegan version of it. So we offered this movie meal, which was like uh, he'd been working with Secret Lasagna, the restaurant, right. a, a chef named a Chef Royce. So he was like, um, we're with Secret Lasagna. Can you work lasagna into it? I was like, you take lasagna, put it between two pieces of bread. That's a lasagna sandwich. That's in the meal. He's like, all right, what else? And I was like, you put hater tots in, because they were just in Jane Silent Bob reboot, tater tots. And you put chocolate-covered pretzels in there, and that's from Mallrats. I'll sign a card, and bam, that's mm. that'll be it. So we opened, and first we were on Postmates, and then we crashed the app twice, uh, LA Postmates, because- uh-huh. People were hitting it so hard. Postmates very politely asked us to leave <laughs> because we couldn't do it correctly. And so we went to another reservation system where they wouldn't deliver. They could come and pick it up at a point in time. So now um, this is like this was last month and it went really well. And, and we raised like 10 grand, I think it was. Really wonderful. But a great indicator that if we actually do the pop-up version, uh-huh. people will come. So Derek and his crew Floyd is his art, art director, went into their space and completely turned it into what looks like one of the movies from one of the features mm-hmm. I've done. You can see like in the place, there's a quick stop, like exterior and an RST exterior from Clerks, the movie I made. Um, there's some Mallrats exteriors, like photograph city. It's selfie city all around yeah. the place. So the way it is now is uh, we open officially tomorrow. Um, you can't just walk up to it. You can walk up to it and look through the windows, but you can't just walk in. Reservation system only. Go to moviespopup.com. They give you a time and a reservation. You pick your entire meal. It's almost a cashless exchange. Yeah. Um, you could do it all completely online so that you show up. You got your number. You're good to go. Uh, while you're there, you could do all the selfies you want. We have a patio, so if you want to eat outside, you can. There's no dining in the restaurant because of the quarantine and stuff. But um, you can take the food home, of course. But you can come and spend as long as you want, and then you're off. Then How you're long done. is that going to be open for? Probably like he says that they do them for like one to two months based on popularity. So it'll only be there, I figure, max for like for like two months. But it sounds like it's super popular. If you, why not you, just keep it rolling? Because that's yeah, honestly, yeah. like to me, I was like as a as a business person or somebody you know fancies himself in business. I'm like, if it's selling yeah. so well. Just keep doing it. But Derek's point is like, that, like, look, I love what we're doing. It's the limited run that that's makes, what that makes it for demand. him. He's like, that's what makes it exciting. Like, mm. they get to switch kitchens, chefs, menus, concepts, and then his entire crew gets to artistically express themselves as they remake the pl- the restaurant into something else. So I get it. Like on one level, I'm like, hey, if it's working, uh-huh. let's make it real. But on the other hand, that's not what he does. Right. He's like. For me, the fun of the job is like, it changes all the time. He's like, just like mm-hmm. in your world. He's like, you don't work on clerks 
every right. day. He's like, you did it, and then you do other but things. But you do. When this I is do. done, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I told him, you're wrong, Derek. I still work on Clark. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's the still last, the last <laughs> word I'll utter as I die. <laughs> Just like, you know, how Citizen Kane <laughs> yeah. was like, Rose, but I'll uh-huh. be like, I made clerks, <laughs> yeah. and then die. It's got to be wild uh, reflecting on the fact that, you know, when Clerks came out, that was a very (laughs) special time in independent film. You know, like this big Sundance era where these auteurs were, you know, emerging, the Soderberghs, and of course, Tarantino, right? Mm. And then for you to like work on like this incredible movie with him. I mean, it has to be a great point of pride for you, but what was that experience like for you, Harley? working with Quentin, like, what do we not know about that mad genius? Um, I mean, it, it was, it was a mind blowing experience. I, I thought it was completely off the table because I, I had auditioned for it. Um, and the audition was really, uh, different from most, uh, you had the opportunity to write your own monologue from the perspective of someone from the Manson family. How so weird is that? Mm, because whoa. we all think of him as the greatest writer like and so you would imagine like well you're gonna audition with like a monologue from a quentin tarantino yeah. movie or he'll give you a notebook with a like a with 50 something page yeah. story <laughs> on your but character. he's so secretive about it that it stands to reason mm-hmm. that he's like i'm not gonna give you anything well he did he gave uh, you a real a scene that was in the movie did he really yeah so you saw pages of the movie before yeah the part with um did you have to sign like an nda uh, yeah i had to at first I went to the casting office and usually for every audition, you just get all the information, all mm-hmm. the the scripts or the sides um, or the audition papers rather. It, it's all online. Like you just get it sent through email. And a lot of the time, if it's really secretive, they'll write your name across it like Carly Quinn Smith. So you can't share it. Um, but for this, and it's the only time I've ever had to do this, you had to go in um, like a week or a few days before the actual audition, sign uh, like many papers, and then they would hand you one set of sides, uh-huh. which was the one scene, which is actually in the movie. Um, and then they also told me that I had the option to write my own monologue. So um, I've been writing for my whole life, and so I felt I I felt an obligation to to definitely um participate in that option so i i ended up doing both and um i mean it went really well and i, I was really proud of myself but like it months passed by and i didn't hear anything so i was like oh well okay and i uh, I, I was no uh, no it okay, wasn't I was really yeah. bummed i was yeah, really was, actually i so wish upset. it was oh well okay but it was <laughs> I was really yeah. upset. Suck. I the mean, I was, I was just upset. I was, yeah. I was upset because that that was one of the most insane opportunities I've ever had. She just to, it just to even audition for it. And like, I, I just felt, I, I, I felt so, so passionate about it. And, um, but months passed and I didn't hear anything and I knew they started to film. So I was like, okay, well, my oh, ship has for sure to sail. Yeah, they oh, started wow. to film. Cause it was, uh, uh-huh. it was a, I can't remember how many days, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was over a hundred days um, of shooting, if not more. But um, It's easily four months mm. right there. Yeah, it was really long. And then um, one day I, 
actually my mom heard through her friend who was involved in the movie and she was like why didn't you tell me harley's in this movie and my mom was like no she's not and her friend was like she's on the call sheet i i i see her like I, she's on here and my mom was called me and was like what the fuck why didn't you tell me and I, my dad and i were sh- together that day um we had just shot the first episode of this show called dc daily it was mm. that same day um and i was driving home and my mom was calling me very uh chaotically over the phone <laughs> and like yelling at me and i was like i have absolutely no idea what you're talking about i i'm i'm this movie's been shooting i'm, I'm not in it <laughs> um and then my i called my manager and i was like i i mean i don't think this is true but ha- do you have any idea what this is about and she was like um, well, I, I didn't want to tell you, but for like the past two or three weeks, I have uh, been talking to casting because they told me that Quentin really wants to find a way to put you in the film. Mm. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and she was like, but I, I, I didn't hear anything was for sure. So uh-huh. I, I don't know what this is about. And then um, the next day she called me and she was like, I don't know what's happening but whatever you heard is right you're you're uh-huh. gonna be in it <laughs> that's so crazy that you're on the call sheet and nobody had called you to t- yeah no to no, no it was it was just such a weird and <laughs> uncalled like, sheet and they were like can you be here tomorrow like did it happen quickly if you were on um, the call sheet then i would suspect that it was like shooting must have fallen it was for a hair yeah it was for yeah. it was something involving like costume oh, okay. and hair and, and hair and makeup um i don't remember how long after that i was shooting but it was just, it was so unexpected. Like mm-hmm. that ship was so far gone <laughs> in my yeah. in my head. Also caused one, of, well, I was going to say one of the only fights, certainly not one of the only fights, but a fight with my wife at the time because Harley auditioned and then there was no word back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Harley was all sad and shit. And Jennifer came into the office one day and she's like, you know Quentin, don't you? And I was like, oh, no, not like that. I don't. I was like, I, I would was have like, hated you if you I made said that, that to her. I, I would said, have that's been how mad well for I know my daughter. Cause yeah. I was like, number one, I, I don't have that relationship with him where I can call him up and be like, hey, can you put my kid in your movie? I said, I, I, I would never do that. And, and my wife goes, you. well, you don't make Quentin Tarantino movies, do you? And I was like, that's not the point, man. I said, but number two, <laughs> imagine I do that and imagine it worked. And imagine she finds out we're fucked for life because then she didn't earn it. It's something that we did. And so it's not, she'll never be happy. Like you get one moment of happiness where she's like, I got the part. Then when the truth comes out, we're fucked for life. I was like, no, she wants to be in this business. This business is 99% fucking rejection. Everyone gets told no. So let her learn, man. Like, this is how you learn whether you want to be in this business or not. And then she got a fucking yes. And I'm like, mm. she'll never learn. Well, she <laughs> he also, like, really did not believe in me. <laughs> you oh, did. You, not, when not, I for, got, not for Quentin's When I got movie, this no. audition and I was talking about it, and it, I mean, it was such a big thing. It, it was crazy to, to even get an audition for this film. Right. They, he had, he saw definitely less than 100 people for, like, every female part in the Manson family and you weren't auditioning for any specific person. It was just a a Manson family member. Um, And I told my dad, 
because it was so exciting. And he was like, yeah, you're not going to. I did that. not say you're yeah. not going to get it. He but was I was like, like don't get your hopes up. Everybody. I said, you know, because she was like, there's this movie I really want to be in. And I've been reading books about it. And I watched a documentary about the subject matter. And she's like, have you ever heard of a man named Charles Manson? And I was like, yeah, I think once in, in the 70s. I'm sure I heard his name. I was like, why do you ask? And she's like, because uh, Quentin Tarantino is making a movie about Charles Manson. And I was like, oh, my God. I said, kiddo, I want to be in that movie. Like, everyone wants to be in that movie. Like, you just, you got to lower your expectations. I literally said, I was like, do like your mom when she married me and lower your expectations, man. Because that's like a high bar. I said, I just read Jane Fonda said she wanted to be in that movie. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, I'm a parent. I don't want to see her get her heart broken. And I did see it. Like, when she didn't get right. the part, it was misery in that house. So I felt like, you know, put her expectations in check. She can always be in a Kevin Smith movie, but like, you know, most actors are like, yeah, I've done that. I don't, don't want to do it. She got it, man. But she got it. And that, that was a movie that everybody wanted. <laughs> yes. You know? And those And scenes... I felt like a fuck afterwards because I'm like, lower your expectations. <laughs> yeah. well, that was the dopest part is that like he didn't believe in me. It's <laughs> not that I didn't believe then in you. It seemed like it wasn't going to happen, but then it happened. And I was like, He's just trying to, he's trying to protect you. Do you remember, you? too, there was a period, too, where it didn't seem like it was going to happen, where I was like, you know what? Fuck Quentin Tarantino. You ain't <laughs> got to worry like, about uh... him. <laughs> and then when she got the part, I was like, oh, my God. This is amazing for both of us. I was so happy because, like, Quentin, Reservoir Dogs is one of the movies that made me feel like, ooh, I could make a movie. Mm -hmm. And not because I looked at Reservoir Dogs and said, I'll do a jewel heist. I remember seeing the movie at uh, on 3rd on Avenue, in New York City, went to go to see a matinee with my friend Vincent. And it opens, of course, with, you know, them talking about Madonna's song, right. Like a Virgin. So a very unlikely crew of people dissecting pop culture, essentially. And I remember, like, that was transformative. I was just like, this counts as a dialogue in a movie? You can literally just talk about some fucking song? Like, if this counts as dialogue... I think I could write dialogue because me and my friends, we sit around, we talk about Star Wars in the same way. Mm -hmm. So I could draw you a direct line from Reservoir Dogs to Clerks. Um, I could draw you a direct line from Pulp Fiction, which we saw on the Quasette in, in uh, Cannes, like before anybody else. Um, or is it the Shams? No, it's the Quasette. Mm -hmm. um, before anybody else at a preview screening for critics and stuff before it was in competition. And that movie shaped what dogma became because Quentin could do these breathtaking changes in tone where you could be laughing and they could shoot Marvin's face off and you're like, shit just got real, you know? So I, he, the man influenced what I did. And I've, I've met him of course, and I've known him for, for years. Not like, we're not like super fucking tight, but he was a big fan of, believe it or not, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh -huh. That was a weird, but Chasing Amy, he absolutely That's loved awesome. on Charlie Rose one day. He was like, my favorite movie this year was Chasing Amy. Mm -hmm. He's like, Kevin Smith took a quantum leap. So he's always been a big figure in my career. To hear her go like, he cast me, like, that was that was everything. You know, as a parent, yeah. I was proud as fuck. But as a professional, I was like, oh, like, that's that's unlikely. So no, I was never like, I don't believe in you. Well, Clearly you not, because I'm casting your shit. But I did say lower your expectations, man. Like many <laughs> people would love to be in a Quentin Tarantino. You know, it's the protective instinct. It was out of love, I mean? but it was really dope to be able to be like, guess what? In your face, <laughs> silent Bill. And I'm like, Bob. Yeah. And for people that don't know, I mean, you are, you are 
on the Spawn Ranch, part of the Manson family. I mean, those scenes were like so haunting. And I and and when you watch the movie, it doesn't take up a ton of screen time, but mm. there was that was like a month of shooting, right? Yeah, we were there for a really long time. And you spent a lot of time with the rest of the cast, like creating that family atmosphere. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it took a long time to shoot what was on the ranch because everything is on film too. So it takes um, that mm. just even a bit longer um, than it would just shooting digitally. So um, there was that aspect, but also there's just nothing but money and time. Mm -hmm. So like we all just, there was never any yeah, rush that was no like, pressure. well, the day's almost over. Maybe we should go faster. <laughs> like it was, it was just very, uh -huh. so relaxed. Um, and it just really did feel like a summer camp of the sorts we were all hanging out. We all didn't have our phones. Uh, we had to check in our phones every day. So we were all just together. And you, you don't know. let you bring phones on a set. Wow. I mean, number one, he's making cool. a period piece. So he's yeah. like, that wouldn't be there, man. But number two, he's smart. It just, right. everybody focuses on their work or familial atmosphere. Because mm -hmm. yeah. like, you only get that opportunity once making a movie is like going to camp like every movie is like summer camp and some summer camps are more fun than others and stuff but like it's always this once in a lifetime experience mm -hmm. and while you're doing it you're like it's gonna be like this forever but smart money understands that like this is a moment in time even when you're making a tv show episodically you think like oh this goes on and on and on it ends and when it ends you fucking miss it like because mm -hmm. you realize i have to go back to the real world and shit like I'd rather just make pretend. I'd rather be an artist. I'd rather play for a living. So it's smart that he's like, leave your fucking cell phones off. Number one, it's yeah. smart for production. And you don't have to worry about people taking pictures and stuff. But number two, it forces everybody to embrace the moment, live in the moment and be like, we're doing this. And this is never going to happen again, man. I think every single person too would be full of regret if after the experience they were like, Oh, I was on a Quentin Tarantino set and I was not fully immersed in the in the right, situation like I was on my on phone. Yeah, yeah, I would have hated myself. Mm -hmm. So it definitely provided for a really special atmosphere. And, and you got it? you made friends with like Yeah. Like loud people right. were she's still friends with and stuff. I saw the yeah. girl the girl who gets killed in the pool and spoilers, you know, uh -huh. in the ending and shit. She's my best friend. Yeah, uh -huh. she's been over friend. at the house. Yeah, she's walked in one day. I was uh -huh. like, <laughs> oh my she's god one of my you best friends throw. ever she's vegan too so. what's, it, vegan what's well. it uh what's it like when brad pitt shows up yeah I, um I, <laughs> I mean it's definitely just very very surreal um but it's it was also really weird because his um his picture double looked like exactly the same as him mm. so a lot of the time and like, he's playing a picture double too yeah right which is too, <laughs> like, movie, i don't have I my glasses him. on so like i get it's just it's just very weird but um there's one part in in the movie where we're walking across um a, a neighborhood street and um brad and leo are in a car having this conversation yeah. and then they see us walking and and brad makes contact with uh the character pussycat mm -hmm. and it was so weird because just seeing both of them together like in real life and at the same time <laughs> like it, it was just, look at all that yeah. money it was just so, so much it's fame. so weird be, i mean it's it's it is pretty surreal because i i feel like both of them are like some of the most mega like that's as hot that's like they're on the top of the mega famous list. and it's gotta be this weird experience like 
for you, it's like, I know what these cats look like. I'm so overly familiar with them mm -hmm. from so many movies that they're kind of a part of my life, but they have no idea who I am yeah, and that no, I exist. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and then, like, suddenly, you know, they're like, hi, how are you? And it's like being spoken to by a movie. Like, yeah. when a famous person you've never met talks to you, you're like, like, did one of them ever speak at you or to you? Or Brad like, hello. Did. What did he say? What does a Brad Pitt just say in real life? I mean, he's very, very nice. I mean, because there was one, there's one. What do you part, mean nice? Like just like he's like he's like puppies are cute, like that kind of nice. Or, <laughs> no, he's just like very friendly and class. like making jokes and stuff. Really? He's friendly. He's very friendly. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so weird. Like even me, I've been in business your twenty-six dad is years. Jealous like, of you right now? Oh, I know. I'm not jealous, but I am oh, like no, oddly he was really fascinated. When I shot this, <laughs> I, I, I was jealous because I definitely wanted to know about the story. Um, there's like, also my my dad likes to really be a part of. Everything um, that I do, and <laughs> I'm about to be it. Well, one, the podcast, two, yeah. <laughs> once upon a time in Hollywood, three, I'm about to be in this um, show for Freeform called Cruel Summer, and it's based in the '90s, and it's it's my first, it's like my first huge, like I'm a series regular, and it's it's like mm. I I I feel so thankful for it. It's like a my first big thing yeah like my first tv show here it comes um and so but i like <laughs> i've dad's worked face right i know now. i've yeah. worked very hard like yeah. i have worked very hard for this i have gone through a lot of pain as all actors do like put in the work and i got this and i'm very proud to say fully on my own like i very mm -hmm. much don't want my dad to be a part of my acting career because i want it to be completely separate from him i've made that extremely clear except for the films we make together everything Gee, else thanks. everything else i like is fully mine and i got it on my own and i pride myself a lot on that so i get my show and my dad is like I'm going to be on your show. I'm going to find a way to get myself on this show. <laughs> it's based in the 90s and I'm a 90s icon and I'm going to be on the show. And I was like, fuck no. There's literally no way. I will leave. I will I will be so upset and feel so just betrayed by the show. My face hurts. <laughs> and Couldn't he, help And then yourself. he was like, I'm going to direct one. I'm going to be myself in one. And, and like, I was like, just step away. I want, I want to be able to be like, she's wrong, but this I believe so I did good. use the term. I am a 90s icon. <laughs> he, no, he did. And it makes sense because it is, in, it is in the 90s. It's, uh -huh. it's based on, it spans three years and it's from 93 to 95. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Clerks come out in one of those years? 94. <laughs> For people Thank that are listening, much. Kevin looks so constipated right I now. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm sure there will be a reference. I'm sure there will be a reference at some point. It's got to be, right? But I just would feel better if you didn't have to but this is the it. father daughter dynamic in a <laughs> nutshell it's like the daughter trying to break free and fly and the dad holding on to every last bit that he yes. can to keep which her I, unfair well, everything i, I do i'm like oh do you want to come be uh -huh. it and she's like sure and then i'm like what are you doing can well, i be in it and she I've, goes fuck off old I, man I've this just, is young people's entertainment i've had i've had like i mean i i've i've so lucky in a sense that I've I since my dad has been in this industry for a long time I did have like my foot in the door mm -hmm. to have contacts with like agents and stuff like that but I also in a sense it, like people always are like oh well, you just have a acting career because of nepotism which is like uh, yes I be I had a foot in the door because of nepotism for sure but I've had to face so much like a whole different set of issues of people just um pre having prejudgments about me mm -hmm. and just 
thinking, not really thinking of myself, not thinking of me as my own person and just thinking of my, uh, me as an extension of my dad. And so I worked really, really hard to make sure that I am known as my own person for my own talents and my own right and for my own activism and not just as the child of a famous person. So with that being said, who's the famous person? Do you think I'm famous? <laughs> yes. <laughs> with that being said, the, 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 path that I have worked very hard to make on my own that is not related to mm. my dad's success. I have very certain feelings about my dad then referring to himself as a 90s icon and putting himself <laughs> in the show that I have worked very hard. That to being be a said, part listen of. to our new podcast together, <laughs> yeah. Vegan Abattoir. But that being said, which I have no problem sharing time <laughs> on. Said, that being said, it is it, I I mean I'm very I'm so thankful for the things that we do have together. It's just important to me that I also make a career of my own that's only based on the work that I've put in. Not, I understand. Not, I think your dad knows I that. Understand. But of course, I'm very honored to be to be doing vegan avatar. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, Rich, it's real heartbreaking the day your kid outgrows you. Uh -huh. <laughs> Mine outgrew me like 15 years ago. She's just been like putting in the time out of a sense of sweetness. Um, I fully respect that. I'm it's jealous awesome, of your relationship. It's it is very sweet, and the the uh, I you know her her mother, my wife, refers to Harley as like she's just beardless, dickless you, and it's just that's not hard true. To hear. Yeah, well, wow. she used to say that, yeah. but now she's like her own individual. Like mm -hmm. you know, she used to. Jen would always refer to like Harley as my little twin and stuff like that. And then as Harley grew older, like a lot of her personality or interests and, and mine are close. Yeah. I mean, you can't grow up in the same fucking house and not pick up some things. Right. Mm -hmm. So her and I are more alike than her and Jennifer, yeah. which always kind of leaves, you know, Jennifer mm -hmm. feeling a little bit on the outside and stuff like that. But like, you know, I, I didn't, you know, Jennifer asked the other day, we were talking about, we were watching some fucking show and somebody had a son and she was like, did you ever like miss like having a, boy like a son and i was like god no not at all like i'm i'm way happy with the kid we got because she's so similar to me like what if we had a boy and he was similar to you fuck that uh -huh. like you know this is this is like this has been <laughs> great sure for me yeah she was just like yeah. kevin why why fuck that the but, fact that that harley's been to sideshow a couple times and you haven't yeah you know what i mean She's living her own you life. You guys are She's related. She's got her own path. No, we're, we're super, super similar. <laughs> we yeah. are really similar. We but do, doing the podcast together has and been fun. Being vegan together has been right. fun. That has mm -hmm. been the one thing like where everyone else in our house is vegetarian. Nan and Pop, uh, uh, Jen, her mom, my wife. But her and I are the only true like plant-based mm -hmm. vegans. So we have that kind of like, hey, man, do you want to go to you want to go to Crossroads? Hey, man, right. you want to order from Cruiser? Hey, man, like, we speak that same language. We've always been very similar in other ways and stuff, but now there's that mm -hmm. as well, which has been kind of adorable, but also beneficial. Like, she literally yeah. saved my life by being like, come do this, come do this. And, like, every time I pop something in my mouth that's plant-based, which is every time I pop something in my mouth, I generally think, like, I wouldn't have been here were it not for her, and not just for her going, please do this. She was a vegan astronaut. She'd been like, you know, two years of vegan prior to me. 
So she was able to case the town and be like, this is where you can get mm. this. This is where you can get this. So I didn't enter it into a state of ignorance trying to figure shit out. I had somebody to hold my hand and be like, here, you would, I know you and you would like this. And that made a transition to a plant-based lifestyle much easier. You know, for some people who are like teetering, like I'd like to do it, but what if I, it's a mystery. Yeah. I had somebody who had like kind of solved the mystery for herself and so was able to give me information that made me feel way more comfortable about leaving behind 47 fucking years of a behavior, 47 years of eating a certain way. So, you know, hats off to you. I, but it all does come back to me because I did have this kid. So, and the kid saved my life. So hats off to me, Rich. I saved my life by having a kid. You kept the weight off. Like, it's no small thing, man. No, it's, it's pretty really incredible. Crazy. And it's, it's really crazy. powerful for... Um, you know, everybody to see that as well. Like, do you, do people still give you shit mm. about online and stuff like that for being vegan? Like no, I mean, no, because I'm very clear about like, you know, I'm, I'm acerbic and, and I can be funny about it and shit, but I've kind of dealt with it so many times online where somebody goes at me hardcore on Twitter or in a comment on Instagram, I come back, but not in a way where I'm like, fuck you or you're ignorant, but just come back in a pithy kind of way uh -huh. that makes that comment seem ridiculous and stuff laughing. like that. So, they, so they've stopped <laughs> like coming at me like, like that. But the, it's been more beneficial than anything else. Like mm -hmm. for as many people who have been like, oh, you're vegan now, I'm going to eat three times as much meat. Right. They're in the minority. What I hear more often than not is I went vegan because of you. I lost mm -hmm. a bunch of weight because of you. I'm trying this because of you. Now, the big thing I've been talking about lately is I became, well, I've been since since I became a vegan, an intermittent faster. Like, you know, I, I was on a pretty much like a 16, 8 clock uh -huh. for most of the last two and a half years. Recently, I've gone to a more extreme clock, which is 20 slash 4. So 20-hour fast, 4-hour eating window. Every day? Pretty much wow. every damn day, except for the days when I do 72 hour fast, which is fantastic cleanse for the right. body, also releases, you know, um, uh, stem cells. Like it, it's, it's crazy wonderful for the body. A lot of people, conventional wisdom has always been like, no, you can't do that. Your body will eat its muscles and shit. Well, not if you still have stored mm -hmm. fat, it goes right to that. And that's what the body's supposed to be doing. We're not meant to be eating three meals a day. That's not been in our genetics for that long and stuff. And as Americans, not only do we eat three meals a day, but those three meals are giant. You got to eat a big breakfast. I haven't eaten a breakfast in over two years. I don't break my fast until minimum noon, generally two or three o'clock in the day or something. Great, so man. in talking about IF a bunch, there have been some people like, you don't know what you're doing and stuff. I'm like, no, I don't. But I've definitely been watching a lot of people who know what they're talking about, talk about it uh -huh. on YouTube and stuff. And, you know, they're, they've they got enough accreditation where I'm like, yeah, I think I could try it. And I've tried it a number of times where I'm like, I know the benefits of this, this works. So I started sharing like my clock with people where I'm like, oh, I've been, this is my 72 hour of the fast. That's been the new pass along where now I've seen people going, I'm now doing 16, eight. Now I'm, I'm going to try for this. Like it's, it's, you know, I, I've liked over the last 26 years being able to be like, Hey, I like Batman. Go see this. Hey, I right. like star Wars. Goes. It's really nice to be able to be like, you're um, a health and wellness influencer now. Isn't that nuts? Crazy. Like I was yeah. in muscle and fitness. Go fucking figure, right. man. So like somebody being like, I'm taking health advice from him is foolhardy. Back to the crazy Southwest Airlines saga. Yes. You know, I remember when that whole thing happened and how bananas that was. Truly. But that was really the beginning of this whole thing. A little bit, yeah. Because that's why I started putting down sugar after that, where mm. I was like, I got to get sugar out of my life. But now as a vegan, unfortunately, sugar is well in my life. Because like, you know, giving up everything else. I'm not like, well, I'm giving up fucking sugar too. 
So now, you know, you allow yourself sugar and bread, but I've been able to cut bread out almost, almost completely. Mm. I had some bread yesterday, but generally speaking, I don't fuck with bread that much yeah. anymore. But sugar, that is like, it's, it's hard to avoid sugar and sugar's still vegan. You, you fuck with a lot of vegan junk food. I d- yes, yeah. I do. That's yes. I do. That's the next mountain you got to climb. I know. Yeah. To actually go vegan yeah. with where I'm eating the kumquat yeah. and some such shit. Yes. So <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me about the pot, like, what is the podcast angle? Like, what's this going to be about? She wanted this? to do it, you know, uh, she wanted to talk to people. Her idea was like, people ask me, and I'm no expert, but I do know people who are experts. So like, maybe I could be a conduit for that. And I was like, oh my God, you could call it vegan abattoir because like we'd be slaughtering misinformation. I think that's how I hooked her. Uh-huh. She's like, that is actually clever. Yeah, I was like, well, <laughs> I really want that name. So. so the idea is like, we sit down in the beginning, we chit chat and, and stuff. And it's all, of course, plant-based mostly and stuff, but some about our lives. Then we head into the interview portion of the show. So, uh, so far she's been like going to talk to people that she knows from the space. Who are the two people you spoke to for um, the two episodes we just did? I've spoken to my friend, Daniela Monet, who is an activist, um, but she also has this um, cosmetics box that she does with a fellow vegan, Ivana Lynch. And mm-hmm. it's a monthly subscription box. And every month they give you a new box of... A cruelty-free and vegan cosmetics. That's cool. So it's really awesome. And, um, and who's the other person? The lady from Vegan Street Fair? Uh, and then I spoke to my friend Jessica Shea, who runs, who is a founder and CEO of Vegan Street Fair, uh-huh. um, which is, they throw an annual event, which has over 200 vegan vendors. Um, but she also does this thing called Vegan Exchange, which is every Sunday. It's a vegan it's a vegan farmer's market, basically, mm. which is just I, a lot of trucks, I knew about a lot the street of fair, trucks. but it's yeah. it, that was life. Where does that go down? It's, in Hollywood. It's um, it's in North Hollywood every single What's Sunday. The, place, the, the national, the center. Oh, the the federal. The federal. It's, it's like right, in the parking yeah. lot behind the federal, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and they bring in like multiple trucks and How did yeah. I know about this? It is. You get fat going though. Mm. It's not happening right now, obviously, yeah. but it, it's um. It is truly life changing. They've got look. They got real green food there, but it's also a lot of cats. Like eat this yeah, yeah. donut. It's vegan. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like, not only is it vegan, but it's a thousand calories and it's amazing. <laughs> but so it's awesome. it is. You go <laughs> after yeah. and you wind up walking out kind of heavy. So the idea is, like, we start the show and then we kind of cut to her interviewing somebody and then we talk about it afterwards and wrap up the show. That's cool. But the yeah. idea is, it's for those who are like, you know, the people who go like. Uh, what is it like and and what do you miss those vegan curious people who are kind of teetering is just a little more information not to like you know drag them over or push them over mm. but if it helps you know mm. and since they're asking us on twitter and instagram comments and stuff this is a way to be like well we went and spoke to somebody who really knows about yeah. this yeah. stuff it's, like and you are one of them. You'll yeah. be on as well after we're done with this. We'll sit down and grab you for. Um, you got a big you, get you gotta, for us, man. No. You own this space. <laughs> you got to step up your production game because you're used to just sitting down and shooting the shit and being like, "I'm done." Chatting. Now you, there's there's actually going to be editing involved. Oh, in this it's one. been a challenge. Yeah. It has been an actual <laughs> challenge um, for one to, of us. For no, it's. For, for one, I had to edit your two-hour interview. <laughs> no, I was like, Harley, yourself. talk to your friend for thirty minutes. She comes back with a two-hour interview. Oh She's like, God, "Is this really enough?" Invested. And I'm like, "Yeah, 
I guess I'll edit it I was really into the conversation. But uh, whenever <laughs> See, that's we... that's your dad, right? I know. Like, you, can't, you can't do it in 30 minutes. I know. It's Yeah, that's how we're really similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, like when we're when we're uh, recording the the opening and the ending, it's we're still trying to find out how to stay on subject and on track because right. we'll just start talking about something. We for one of them, I spoke about my boyfriend for like <laughs> thirty minutes. <laughs> so that's maybe the most predictable thing you've said in yeah. the podcast. <laughs> And we're just really trying. We're tr- we need to figure out how to do but it. But it was more. on topic, and as much as he's, he's not uh-huh. strictly vegan, so it was like, he's, how do yes. you find? He's a new pescatarian, so we've been we were speaking about that. But it's <laughs> I think you you how many how many episodes have you recorded already? Three, this, three, this and this will, the Let one it, we get with you will be four. Cool. Let it be what it wants to. Like it'll tell you what it wants to be, rather than saying yeah. it needs to be like this. Yeah. Like I think just in the doing, you'll find what it what it really wants to be. And allow it, allow that. Yeah. Um, Cool, man. I think we did it. (laughs) (laughs) It just ends so like. I I know. I don't know. Well, I'm I'm being conscious of your time too. Like, I don't want to. I think it's just I'm. I'm. She's probably used to me, and I'm a start guy. Yeah. And like, hey, everybody, and then it ends with, and everybody, we're done. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) And this one's just kind of like, no, it it happened. You didn't know it. I know. That's so crazy. We could just like have a very graceful land. It's not. very vegan, man. It's very, I yeah. really vegan. <laughs> um, super nice to have you guys here. I appreciate it. Thank Pleasure. You Thanks for having me lovely. back. Thank you. Um, vegan Abattoir premiering on June podcast platforms everywhere. June 26th. Very exciting. When's the TV show coming out? Um, the Cruel Summer? Yeah. Um, next summer, 2021. Ah, so we got to wait a while. Yeah. That's Anything the cool else? part. What That's else is coming cool out? Part. You guys have so many projects. I have a movie that will come out one day. Yeah. I don't know when it's coming <laughs> out that I feel Stuff you're not allowed to talk about. Um, I don't know. Did, what is the other movie you did that? Student Body. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a film that, that Austin and I met on. Um, so that will come out one day. I don't know. Right. <laughs> what about you? Uh, or they can watch us on Celebrity Show Off on oh, TBS. Oh, that's true. That's true. Until we get thrown off the show. And you're writing like four scripts right now, Finished right? Twilight of the Mallrats. That looks like it's shaping up to be the next flick. And then did another draft of Moose Jaws because Shudder was interested in it. So it looks like that's moving That's like the life. third in the Yoga Hosers the Tusk triumvirate. Yeah. Yeah. Me heading back to okay. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Fake Canada. Uh-huh. Um, Awesome, man. You still have the bus? I got rid of the bus, like sold the bus ah. off and stuff, um, which sadly, it would come in handy it right now. In, it, yeah. it really would come in now handy. Now you want right a house now. to move around I the know. country and not leave that house. <laughs> well, get it back. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> One thing at a time. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much, you guys. You're welcome here anytime. Damn Thank pleasure. So come back and talk to me again. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Peace. Plants. <laughs> Okay, how adorable is Harley Quinn? I feel like the two of those should just come on the podcast all the time. Super fun. You never know where things are gonna go with Kevin because he's such an amazing conversationalist. He's so verbose, but the guy never fails to entertain and he always drops knowledge. Knowledge, people. Be sure to check out Vegan Abattoir wherever you listen to fine podcasts. Leave them some reviews, maybe a couple five stars. Let's get those two trending in Podland. You know what to do. Be sure to follow Harley at Harley Quinn Smith on Instagram. You can find Kevin at that Kevin Smith on both Instagram and Twitter as well. 
And yeah, that's it. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the show, subscribe, rate, and comment on it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all the good places. Share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can support us on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I want to thank everybody who helped put on today's show. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, and interstitial music. Blake Curtis for videoing today's show, which is available on YouTube. Jessica Miranda for graphics. Davy Greenberg for portraits. DK for advertiser relationships. And theme music by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Hari Mathis. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for the love. See you back here in a couple days with another, we're planning on it at least, another roll on AMA trying to get a little momentum behind this new format. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Until then, peace, plants, namaste.